Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Out of the gate, ready to go. OutKick 360 underway. Thursday edition is here live from 6th and Peabody. We broadcast daily in Music City, Nashville, Tennessee with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. The most visited distillery across the globe in the world is Old Smoky Distillery. 5.7 million visitors Yay. in 2021. How about that? Armando Salguero on today's show. We'll talk NFL headlines from Outkick.com with him. Uh, also, Trey Wallace with the uh, SEC discussion. We'll be discussing Lane Kiffin's comments on name, image, and likeness. That's coming up in about 20 minutes. Uh, and then we have Bengals legend and Pro Football Hall of Fame finalist Willie Anderson on the show today. That will be at 420 Central, 520 Eastern. Crew's all here and a full cast making the show happen for us. Gentlemen, good afternoon. There's only one thing to say today, boys. We're back. We are officially back. It's Thursday. Where we gone? Some said that we wouldn't make it to Thursday this week. <laughs> they thought the show would end on a Wednesday. I always like to address and those people. We said to heck with that. We're going to come back on a Thursday. And maybe if it goes well, we'll even be back tomorrow on a Friday. How about that? I know you were tuned in to the big U.S. soccer win last night. We'll discuss later the circumstances of how ridiculous it is. We did uh, to Central American team the sort of dumb things they do to us. I'll explain. I uh, turned to that soccer match just to see the weather effect on guys running around in shorts in two degrees with a minus 26 wind chill. 12, I think. Minus 12. The under... Exaggerated. It all feels the same. The un- it, yeah. It's, uh, once you reach a certain minus point... 50. Pa- Paul's like, I mean, it's balmy at minus 12. You know, minus <laughs> well, 26 not, at a different I'm level. Just for accuracy's sake. Franklin, Brentwood, these things are important distinctions. That's true. The Honduran... But getting the report is still big. The Honduran goalkeeper had hypothermia. Yeah. They subbed two guys with at halftime with hypothermia. But I said we'd get to this late. There's a lot to get to here. Uh, I, Read your thoughts on soccer. Yeah, no, that's plenty. We're done with soccer for the day. <laughs> I, I feel like that's uh, it. I'll just I'll just say this as a tease for when you get into this later, Paul. It has nothing to do with soccer. I feel like if players are at risk of disease or injury, it should be in a Central American yeah, country well, when a, they play there. That's what I'm or saying. Or a South American country, not in the United States. It's a of America. conversation about international bush leagueism. We can have it now. This is this These is Central for, American. This is for developing countries. As do they this call them. to us. Right, they, we play on crappy fields down there with, uh, you know, inferior referees sometimes with people willing to throw risk of uh, th- malaria. Those, those are those are controlled by Concacaf the referees, but they'll throw bags of piss at us. Well, this is the equivalent of us throwing bags of piss at them, scheduling in in Arctic temperatures a game. We should be able to beat Honduras at uh, uh, in Nashville. Uh, we're worried about Honduran fans. And Burhalter, the coach, is Weather like, here wouldn't be much better today either. But The coach, well, we know what... Look, the first game was in Columbus. 
that's fine. Columbus is a, a place where we have good soccer history. We have good success. That's a regular rotation. Minnesota's not a regular rotation place. Minnesota's a place you go on, on a one-off. And we went there on a one-off. They're saying, well, we were dumb. playing Columbus, uh, Columbus, Hamilton, Ontario, and, and Minneapolis. We're going to stay weather consistent. Minneapolis is not weather consistent. Minneapolis is weather extreme. Well, they played in St. Paul, but when I heard they were playing there in Minneapolis... You thought it was inside. Well, why wouldn't I think it was inside? They have a dome. Yeah. They could have played this in. What, why would they be playing this outside Well, there's a soccer-only facility, and we're not going to draw 60 or 70 yeah. that they would draw. But Burhalter's like, oh, they've never seen anything like this. We're going to get them. Look, gamesmanship to a point, but this is Bush League. We're playing the worst team in the draw. We played very well, but they, this also lends itself to a, to a one-off where we get a bad bounce on an icy, crappy field and hurt ourselves with, where something weird can happen to us. Much to the light of David Reed, we're going to stop the soccer talk right now and get to that later and get into some American football talk. But I do have a lot of thoughts on this game being played in those conditions. So we'll get back I into it. I think it's it. really stupid. How about Harbaugh staying at Michigan? Did, there was a really good almost TikTok piece in The Athletic. Uh, I wish I wrote down the author. He's not and staying in Michigan. Co-authored. Yeah, he's he he's being forced to go back to Michigan because he didn't get the Vikings job. So this, this goes through kind of the day. And everything was going smoothly and looking good. And, and then like at 3 o'clock in the afternoon – Something happened in this interview where it took what they called, quote unquote, a left turn. And all of a sudden, like My guess uh, the is next break, he made a phone call to Michigan and said, I'm coming back. He is knew it, it was going back before is it, too, it was finished. Is it too easy to just say he wanted more control than what they were willing to give? I, I don't know. I mean, he's got to know the temperature going in. This GM is a friend of his. Well, they work together in San yeah. Francisco. So it, uh, it sounds I, I to mean, me like it was less uh, something that uh, it's like the, it's it's not you, it's me. It was less of what Harbaugh couldn't offer or what he didn't do, and more about O'Connell blowing them away with their interview on Monday. So those reports started coming out on Monday that on Wednesday Jim Harbaugh will have his final interview. That was National Signing Day. The big story was the head coach at Michigan is going to interview for an NFL job on National Signing Day, which everyone took that as, me included, well, he's going to get the job. Well, on Tuesday night, it's reports a out of Michigan were that he was a shoe-in for It's a formality job. is what yeah. we thought. Well, whatever happened on Monday, and that, that athletic report, which was a good one, says O'Connell came with detailed notes on Kirk Cousins, and Cousins. A very honest assessment of every player on the roster, of their schedule, of opponents, and just blew them away with that. And I think once he did that, that's when the doubt started creeping in about Harbaugh's personality and past with managing people. Yeah, but still it so sounded it like almost, he had a good that, half day. That shined a light. Harbaugh came ready on Wednesday to dispel those, those notions and say how he's changed. But I feel like O'Connell was so good and it almost forced the Vikings to then re-examine the problems with Harbaugh in the past. And they decided the 36-year-old that blew them away on Monday was the better option, forcing Jim Harbaugh to walk back to Michigan with his tails between with his tail between his legs. And so much for the idea that Ross was gonna do an end around and say, well, if the Vikings are considering him, I didn't want to take him away from Michigan. But since there's an NFL possibility here, all right, I'll be in. Well, like Armando now, told Dolphins us Tuesday, didn't emerge, really. Well, like Armando told us on Tuesday, the the allegations uh, from Brian Flores probably threw a wrench into whatever 
Ross was going to end up doing. And they're on pause, it seems like. Who's the front runner in Miami? Mike right McDaniel. Now? Yeah. So they're just, but I mean, that could go forward now. There's nothing slowing them down. Well, it sounds like they're going to interview again, like maybe today, another interview with Mike McDaniel. And there's O'Connell with the, the ties to McVay. And, you know, you're seeing, I mean, look at the coaches in the Super Bowl, Zach Taylor and, and Sean McVay. And here's the next guy that's attached to McVay. He's been in the league, what, this is his seventh year, I believe? Started as a, started as a quarterback's year, coach uh, in Cleveland. A quarterback. He threw six passes in the NFL. Going back to the Harbaugh piece of this, Harbaugh and this stunt that he has played, I wouldn't call it a stunt because I think he actually wanted out to go back to the NFL. I think he very so he was doing out. he was doing what he wanted to do, but in doing this, he's put himself on the same hot seat he was on going into last year. How good do you feel about After him? After the most now? successful year he's had by far, he ended the Ohio State drought. He got to the playoff. All of the pressure was off of Jim Harbaugh. He had all of the chips. He had he had the cards. He had the the, the, he had the royal flush and now you get where he back. was going to get a big raise, and now he goes back to Ann Arbor, and the moment they lose, what is the talk going to be? He doesn't want to be here. He doesn't want to play. He wouldn't want to coach college football. Guy tried to go to Minnesota. He wants to win a Super He wants Bowl. to be an NFL coach. He, he wants out of college football. It's clear that that is going to be the knock on Jim Harbaugh, and I think that he inadvertently has put himself right back on the same hot seat he had entering the 2021 season now entering the 2022 season because he is seen as someone who is not content at Michigan, his alma mater. He wants back in the NFL, so it's always going to seem like a short-term solution. There, he's at no risk of losing his job now. But he's not going to get that You extension. absolutely bring him back if oh, you're he's Michigan. He's making four and a half versus $10 million that James Franklin's making. But they just presume he's going to leave next offseason when jobs open up. I mean, I think it's a weird... He just took them to the, the semifinals. I still think the guy's going to get a raise. I still think it's a weird spot that he's put Michigan in with this because he, he might get a raise, but Michigan told Josh Gaddis, their offensive coordinator, you are under serious consideration for this job. So if Jim Harbaugh goes back to them now demanding a raise and they say, we'll give you another million and a half, two million, he says, no, I want eight million. I mean, they were prepared that he was walking. He told them he to was him. leaving. They're prepared for this scenario. They lost out on National Signing Day on a few guys also. I mean, if I'm Michigan, I'm not rushing to pay the guy who clearly wants out. Well, they were already negotiating with him prior to the interview, an well, extension. I, I think the interview and they were, they, were they put that out publicly, that they were close to an extension for Harbaugh. Doesn't the interview change things? In yes, your eyes? it, it changes mind? things for me. If, if he comes crawling back, I mean, look, they were, it was done. All reports were he was taking that job and gone. They were talking to their co coaches about who was going to be the interim head coach and have a shot at the job. If you're prepared to do that, well, then I think you're prepared for him to walk because he's not getting the, the, as big of a raise as he wants. Well, if you, if you feel that way, let him go coach for Stephen Ross, another Michigan well, they're guy. Not, they're not Why are they holding it? him back from that? They aren't. They aren't. Ross is the one that, that well, Ross, Ross didn't the want to hire him. But no, Ross said he didn't want to hire him because it's Michigan's coach. Well, that's between Harbaugh that's and a Ross. Ross. That's, that's a Ross a decision, though. Well, now Michigan it opens the door for him. him to do that if Michigan feels that way well, about then, their coach. But Ross has to want him. I mean, I, Harbaugh is absolutely going to leave for Miami if they ask him. Right. But he's not going to ask him because he doesn't want to do that. But if you feel like Harbaugh is out the door next year or is always looking for a job, you're encouraging one of your biggest donors and Stephen Ross to hire your coach. Maybe they are. I mean, I wouldn't care at this point. If I were Michigan, I think he's a one-year guy. But it's also not someone that you fire and buy him out. 
after what he did last year, and then you're going to pay him a bunch right. of money because he wants to walk away. It's just an uncomfortable arrangement now because limbo. it's clear this is not his top option of where he wants to be. Everyone knows it now. Everyone knows it, including his players in that locker room, his coaches, one of his coaches who possibly was going to get the head coaching job there. It just makes for an awkward arrangement that may be fine if they go 11-1 and again next year. They get out to a hot start, but if they start losing... We all know what the talk's going to be. It's, it's difficult to me, for me to think that they're, he's going into a year making four and a half again when he's been far more successful than James Franklin. And James Franklin's played the same cards, trying to get out of Penn State, and he continues to get all the money in the world that he wants uh, and leveraging that against the Nittany Lions who pony up and paid the coach to stay for a coach who was willing to leave. I mean, that's how um, that's just the business of playing – Coach in, uh, in college football now. Yeah, and maybe... Every five but, years, these guys are leaving. But maybe Michigan looks at that and say, Penn State's making a big mistake. We're not going to make that same mistake. Well, if that's the case, then <laughs> you, you're encouraging multiple teams to hire Well, him. and James Franklin, who has absolutely played this game, has never gone to interview for a job knowingly, telling yeah, his team, almost. I'm going to interview for this job. There is a different level of having your agent talk to jobs, even maybe you know entertaining some athletic to directors. To the point where he wasn't expecting about to an return. offer, like, which which James Franklin has done. Yeah. You know he's uh, he's met with ads, not interviewing, but uh, hearing their pitch. It's them pitching him, right. Not the other way around, and then goes back to Penn State every time. I think there's a, a different level of I'm going to go interview for these jobs, and now. I'm not expecting to come back. Was the was the word on the Minnesota right? I, yeah, I, I, I'm not expecting. But to I say all this knowing they can't Arbor. fire him. You know, they that would be dumb of Michigan to fire the guy who just got you the playoff and beat Ohio State. But he created an awkwardness did. that was not there. But it's also Michigan is a premier top ten job in the country, and it's not a spot where you want your coach, where you want everyone that recruits against you and that's on your team and that covers your team knowing. This guy would rather be the Minnesota Vikings head coach right now. It's okay if that stuff is whispered and agents talk and all of that, and you're entertaining the, the offer. It's another thing to know. An example, uh, Rick Barnes at Tennessee could have had the UCLA job. He was open about listening to UCLA. That he considered, he talked about it. Hey, this is a, John Wooden was my hero growing up. It's a big-time basketball job. I seriously considered it, but I really want to be here and I want to stay. If Rick Barnes left to interview for the job, told everyone back home, hey, I'm going to go take this job, then they offered it to someone else, and he had to fly back to Knoxville and be there, it's different than being able to claim, well, I just really wanted to be here. I turned down the offer. Jim Harbaugh was never offered. They offered someone else, and because of that, he had to go back to Michigan. Tough spot. Well, never offered, but I'm sure that something came up about power and control within a contract. Uh, to me, that, that's the logical reason why he leaves without getting the quote-unquote offer. I mean, Tennessee for years has said that they, you know, they got the guy that they offer the contract to when we all know that they would have hired Mike Gundy in a heartbeat if they could have. Yeah, some theorizing. Well, they, never, I, uh, they never officially offered him. Some theorizing that the Wilfs really also are concerned with a peaceful environment there and that ultimately they're scared off by the idea that maybe Harbaugh won't have that peaceful stuff. And certainly his NFL history suggests he won't. 
but your GM is vouching for him to a certain level because he was there when things went awry in, in San Francisco. And the Wilfs are uh, absentee owners. They don't live right. in, in Minnesota. So that makes things more complicated. I think there's also a chance he went and was told this is a real competition. We have to think this through between you two guys. And, and that's when he that. said, I can't do this anymore. Well, I'm gonna he had go, to tell, he had to tell go, Michigan what yeah, they were doing. I'm going to go keep the job that I have. I'm not going to go through your process anymore if you don't want to hire me. I thought I was coming. And I would and completely understand that today. if you're him. right? If you're Kevin O'Connell, an assistant in the NFL, you can wait while you're coaching your team for the Super Bowl. Jim Harbaugh had to say, yeah, I'm not going to sit around and wait till after the Super Bowl and keep everyone in limbo at Michigan and everyone else. So in that way, maybe it was a bit of a mutual parting of ways. But it feels to me like they just decided Kevin O'Connell was the better option. And he got caught wind of that with whatever they told him. But it also continues the trend. Youth is served among head coaches in the NFL. I mean, look at the ages of the coaches in the Super Bowl. Yep. And that's the trend. Well, in the hand of McVay, we've talked about it for years. If you're blessed by the hand of McVay, What's you, got a good, you got a good chance at a head coaching job. And who can blame an owner? For hiring someone touched and blessed by the hand of McVeigh, no one. Success is there, and uh, the turnarounds are there for for those organizations. It's been remarkable. Uh, we'll get more into the Super Bowl matchup coming up a little bit later in the show. Armando Salguero will join us. We'll also discuss the Brian Flores lawsuit and the latest with that with Hugh Jackson and what he had to say publicly yesterday. When we come back, though, SEC headlines with Trey Wallace of OutKick.com. All of that and more on OutKick 360. First, though, Aurora NutriScience, VitaLifeScience.com. V-I-D-A LifeScience.com is the website. You can go to the website and see everything they have to offer in regards to the supplements they provide. Receive a 15% discount with the code OutKick360. Typical pills, capsules, not well absorbed. But here's Aurora, unique cutting-edge nutritional and absorbable supplements encapsulated in liposomes that ensure greater absorption in the body's bloodstream. Vitamin C, vitamin D3, glutathione, and so much more. You can visit vitalifescience.com. For more information, use the code OUTKICK360 for 15% off at checkout. Again, the code is OUTKICK360 for 15% off when you visit vitalifescience.com. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. Armando Salguero and the legend Willie Anderson on today's show. Outkick 360 rolls on from 6th and Peabody with Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Glad you're with us across the Outkick Network. And always pleased uh, every week at this time to be joined by Trey Wallace, who covers the SEC for Outkick.com. Does great work there and uh, plenty to discuss today across the Southeastern Conference. Trey, hope you're doing well, man. Hey, guys. Hope everybody's doing well. Call Charles' opening segment. I know Paul was kind of upset with the, the, the soccer conditions last night, but at least they pulled out the win, so it is what it is. Yeah, right? pleased with the result. Victory. Not pleased with the shenanigans. 
Hey, uh, yeah, I, speaking of that, Trey, um, where do you fall on Kiffin and Jimbo over the last few days with the, the comments that have been made about name, image, likeness, and Lane Kiffin being the one that's waving the flag for college football? Isn't that interesting that Lane Kiffin's the guy that is out there complaining, I guess is the best way to put it, about how things are right now in college football when it comes to NIL, when it comes to transfer portal. I mean, let's not forget the guy just landed two solid players from USC, you know, in the last five days, quarterback and and, and tight end. Uh, they also landed Zach Evans as well. Um, so don't, you know, for Lane Kiffin's part, don't tell me NIL is not working because we've seen some players that you've gotten. I mean, you, you know, you might not have the money that A&M has at the moment or, or Alabama or Georgia or whatnot, but it still doesn't take away, you know, from the fact that, yeah, I, I get you're upset, but also, you know, you're also making waves too. Like they might not be huge splashes with the number one overall, you know, recruiting class in history, but you're still doing stuff. So, I, I find it interesting. I You know, a, a lot of me thinks, Jonathan, this is Lane Kiffin kind of poking the bear at Texas A&M and, and these other schools. It's, you know, I, I, he probably feels that way about certain things, but also I think it's trying to get underneath the skin of Jimbo Fisher, which if you watch that press conference yesterday, it worked. It worked. Uh, and if I'm Jimbo or anyone, you know, if I'm A&M or any of these top-tier programs that are using this to their advantage – I just I just say hey we're we're within the guidelines because quite frankly there are none. The NCAA took a step back from this, and I brought this up yesterday. And I'm I'm curious your take if if Greg Sankey held a press conference and took the lead on parameters for name, image, likeness from a conference level, everyone would follow that that diagram right that 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 idea that plan. Greg Sankey's already the most powerful person in college sports. And by that one press conference, he would be the leader of college football. I, I get it. And but it, but it's also come down to, okay, how do they regulate this thing? And if they do it on an SEC level compared to, let's say, just say power five level um, and, and how things are going to play out are, are you're setting limits or you're setting rules. Okay. Well, how this, how does this work for, you know, Clemson now or Michigan or Ohio state? You know, I think that, yeah, if Greg Sankey came out and said, okay, look, we've sat down with the athletic directors and the presidents. This is what we think should happen when it comes to NIL. We've talked to experts in the community around the country. Then, yeah, I would imagine they could come to some agreement, though it would be hard because you always are going to have schools that are going to have more money. A&M is going to have more money, you know, than Ole Miss. A&M is going to have more money at times than Auburn. Um, and you can go on with that. You know, Florida announced a new NIL agreement kind of with the Florida Collective, who runs their name, image, and likeness, but now they're a sponsor of Florida Gators University and the football program. So there's so many different ways that this can go down, and, and you try to regulate it, and it's hard to do. I mean, my biggest thing is, okay, if if Texas is doing this thing, we all saw, you know, the what, the $50,000 per offensive lineman type of deal, and we know the amount of money that the Longhorns have in their program, it's like, hey, get ready. Like, in two years, these guys are coming to the SEC as well. So, you know, A&M being out in front of it right now, it's setting up for more to come in the future, 
And I don't know how they regulate it right now because the free agency thing, it makes sense to me in, in a way. Like Kiffin made sense when he was talking about it, but I think it was the way that he was doing it and, and you know, saying that A&M has five to ten times more money that they've spent on a, a class and talking about a luxury tech. I get it. You're going to have these conversations, but, you know, Jimbo took it to heart yesterday, and uh, this is where we stand, you know, on a Thursday. Well, look, Kiffin is brilliant uh, for this reason. He's, he's set the expectation now. Whatever he does successfully on the field, he is doing it as the plucky upstart Cinderella that's getting outspent five to ten times by his SEC West rivals. And if he loses, hey, I'm a brilliant offensive coach that can't get players because I'm not anteing up the way A&M is in other places. His fans will buy into that, and there's a lot of media that will buy into that as well. And he's not altogether wrong in what he's saying. Jimbo Whoa, Fisher, Jimbo Fisher yeah. is wrong. In what he's saying, Trey, because, right. and there's yeah. no pushback in an A&M press conference. And there's a lot of A&M media say, well, that's, that's my coach. You tell him coach, you get him." Jimbo Fisher staff's not working harder than everyone in the sec. They're paying more and it's okay. Yes. He can't admit that. And it's, it's all semantics. When you say you're going to get $150,000 from this group you met with last night on campus, when you get here, then you come back and say, we're not paying them money to come here, but oh, by the way, we're paying them once they get here for signing with us. I mean, it's just a farce to me. It's not Lane Kiffin that looks like a fool in this. It's Jimbo Fisher and everyone that, that applauds him acting like he's telling the truth. That, that's what's funny to me about all of this. He couldn't have looked any worse yesterday. Okay, and, and here's the reason why. He comes out and says, you know, you guys are being disrespectful to our recruiting staff and the coaches that are doing this and recruiting and blah, 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 blah. Okay, I get that. Every the school has that. Staff, Every school works hard and has those staffs exactly. that work hard doing that. The, all of them. The all the recruiting staffs around the country are putting in hours until 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning talking to recruits and doing that. Okay? We get that. You don't have to go out on that ledge and say, okay, I'm praising my coaching staff for what they did, but then also – you know, throwing away the NIL stuff. Like, that part doesn't make sense. Like, sack up and agree to it. Own it now. You had enough money to put together a phenomenal class that broke records and biggest in the history of college football. Own the fact that you have the money when it comes to NIL to do something like this. Because I promise you, in two to three years, when Texas comes in, they're going to be trying to up the Aggies every single day on the recruiting trail. I, I understand you have to compliment the coaches, but it's still you don't have to look like kind of like an ass, to be honest with you, up on stage by calling out the other people around the country for talking about your program. We're not stupid, okay? We covered this, this game every single day. You've heard the stories. I've heard the stories. I've talked to recruits. I know how much, you know, that they've been offered at Texas A&M and other schools. So just own it. There's no reason for you to sit around. You can compliment the coaches, but at the end of the day, also say, hey, we got one of the best badass NIL programs in the SEC and college football, and this is how much you can make if you come to Texas A&M, promote that. If we're in that age, why are you running from it? Trey, who is the team owner in, in, in Aggie land? Who's, who's the guy that's making all this work for Jimbo? And, and you said they're paying money and, and, and buku's of it. How much higher are they willing to go than Alabama, LSU, Auburn, and, and the rest in the West? Well, it's, it's just interesting, Jonathan, because, you know, you, 
everybody's here's the thing everybody's paying money okay when it comes to this nil stuff and what they're doing is they're they're going you know it's all outside you know the facility okay in a in a sense i laugh when i try to say that but it's all outside facility of these these companies putting together these agreements you know for these nil players so it's happening at alabama and auburn it's happening at every school in the southeastern conference or around the country Right now, you look at it when it comes to Texas A&M, it just feels like that they've come up with a bigger, what's the best word for it, bigger fund for NIL purposes. And, and they're going to their donor base and the alumni and the boosters that want to get involved in this. And, they're, and they're, they've done a really smart thing. And it's all legal, by the way. I mean, everything that they're doing. But I think when it comes down to it, you know, maybe what they're doing a little bit different is saying, hey, look, also, look who the guys we're bringing in. And and look at the class we put together. Look at the returning starters that we have on this team. I mean, let's let's not forget Texas A&M is a very very big school, and they're doing they're going to do good things in the SEC. I think in the near future, and we saw a glimpse of that this past year. But you're also being able to recruit and sell those players on stuff along those lines too. Like look at the roster we have. Look what we can do to get you to the NFL. I get that part of it, but the NIL thing. You know, it it just blows my mind that some of them don't want to, you know, embrace it in a sense. Like Nick Saban, you know, Jonathan saying, you know, you know, we, nil has come too far. You know, there's there's ways we have to to navigate this thing, and you know, but th- we forget Nick Saban was the first one to really make it known how much a player was making in Bryce Young when he said, oh, he's making you know seven a million figures. dollars, yeah, right, seven seven figures, so. It's going on in Alabama. And then Nick Saban wants to come out and say, well, we've never cheated since I've been here. Okay. There's probably a few assistant coaches that are no longer <laughs> at Alabama who would probably disagree with that, who have been banished off to the NFL. Yeah, they stopped in Knoxville that, along the way. Yeah. Exactly. The process, the process was brought to Knoxville with those guys. Right, exactly. But what I'm getting at is everybody's, everybody's doing it. It's, it's legal now, okay? Everything's above the board. Per se, and I just think these—they have to embrace it, man. I, I know they might not like it for it to be out there that they're paying for players, but that's what NIL is now. So the quicker they do, I think the quicker the conversation shifts to a different, you know, segment of that that area. Trey Wallace with us from Outkick.com. I, I'm—I uh, I just wanted to jump to a coaching move, a late coaching move. Kevin Steele, uh, you know, had his name on his door at Maryland, jumped to Miami. Pass the smell test there, or is it just a late coaching move? Doesn't pass the smell test to me, Paul. I mean, if he if he agreed to go to Maryland, and he was, and there were reports out there that he's on campus. We saw that his his office was done. There were reports that he was on campus last Thursday um, and through the weekend, and then all of a sudden, you know, his agent is working a deal. And he gets to, you know, the report came out that, you know, he accepted verbally a job with Maryland and then he showed up on campus. And then, you know, he's working for a few days. And then all of a sudden reports say he tells the staff in Maryland, hey, I'm dipping out, going to Miami. It's like, man, come on. What, what are you doing here? Like your word is, is stringing along here and, and it's not sounding well. It, I don't know if he used, Paul, I don't know if he used Maryland for leverage with the Miami job. But maybe when Miami, you know, decided, hey, we want to do something different or maybe we're interested in steel, that's when the agents get involved and, and that thing plays out. So that's a weird situation. That guy's made money from Tennessee, 
Auburn. He signed, you know, not signed, but agreed to go to Maryland. Now he's at Miami. It just seems like trouble always finds him when it comes to public relations. Trey, you've been doing a, a lot of good work covering SEC basketball also. And it, it's really, we're in February now, and it's a very interesting conference. And I think for this reason, there's a clear-cut best team in Auburn who's number one in the country, who I believe right now is a clear-cut best team in America uh, with only one loss. Kentucky is very relevant and very good and one of the more fun-to-watch John Calipari Kentucky teams I can remember. And then you've got three, four, five teams that are all competing for those that, that double by in the SEC tournament, Tennessee being one of them, that all has a chance at getting the three or four seed. And oh, by the way, the bottom of the conference isn't all that bad. Kermit Davis and Ole Miss with two wins in conference, goes to LSU, gets up 42-19 to in that game, holds on for dear life, and beats Will Wade and LSU on the road. Vandy's a little bit better. They lose by only seven at Rupp Arena last night. It's a compelling conference, really, top to bottom this year. I like it. Like I, I was preparing for an article that's going to come out tomorrow looking ahead to the weekend, and there's not many premier matchups this weekend. I think the biggest one's probably going to be that Kentucky-Alabama game. Well, it is in Tuscaloosa on, on Saturday night. Um, can Alabama bounce back after you know an interesting performance against Auburn where they gave up 100, but they were within one point you know, in the, in the second half? But I look at the conference like overall, and they're probably – seven teams fighting for that that top four spot in the SEC tournament to get that double bye. But the conference is still kind of a mixed bag. I mean, look, Georgia beat Alabama, you know, around a week ago. Uh, you you look at South Carolina. They played Tennessee this weekend. I expect that to be a dogfight. South Carolina just Tennessee. won easily at A&M, who started 4-0 in conference at one point. Right, who have now dropped five straight games in yep. the conference. And you just mentioned it. Ole Miss beat LSU – by the way, LSU travels in Asheville this weekend. Like, that's my upset special yep. for the weekend. I think Vanderbilt beats LSU and Will Wade. They're rolling in, in a bad way. Lost five out of the last six. Tennessee, on the other hand, is a team to me that feels like if they go on the road and they try to muck it up, you know, with South Carolina, it might not end well when it comes to the overall perception of the game. Like, I think Tennessee is going to beat Carolina, but you know how Carolina plays and how physical they are. Look. Top to bottom, it's been a fun year because there's so many teams battling, I think, for that top four spot. You know, A&M fell off, but, you know, Mississippi State tries to bounce back. Arkansas, who we all thought would be, you know, one of those top four teams in the conference, you know, they're starting to win games again. Um, I just look at it, you know, and think, okay, this year it feels like maybe five teams in the SEC tournament, you know, and tomorrow night, Chad, Alabama could beat Kentucky. This is an Alabama team who's won, you know, three games against opponents in the 2021 Final Four. So it wouldn't surprise me if Bama beats Kentucky, but I'm loving it this year. Everybody's chasing Auburn, and they're not really chasing anymore because they know Auburn's not going to give up the losses where they can come close to that. It's done. But, you know, right, Auburn, Kentucky, Tennessee, then you kind of march on with the other schools in the conference. It's been fun this year to watch, and I think this weekend brings a few upsets. Trey Wallace has been our guest. You can read his work uh, daily at outkick.com covering the SEC. Follow him on Twitter at Trey Wallace underscore. Trey, appreciate you, man. Always enjoy these visits. We'll catch up next week. Thanks. Guys, look forward to it. Have a great weekend. All Thanks, right. Trey. Trey Wallace there. And again, all things SEC online at outkick.com. Coming up, a big determining factor across the NFL playoffs that doesn't involve the pass game and big-time wide receivers and quarterback play 
And there's all this discussion about Brian Flores and the lawsuit amongst uh, NFL coaching hiring practices. There's one practice and one trend amongst the hires that does not feel weird any longer. How quickly we've changed our perception of it. That's next on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. So here's an area of NFL coaching that we have seen a drastic turn in, and it doesn't really feel all that awkward or weird anymore outkick 360 rolls on it's the ages of these coaches I mean, th- that is evident just based on what we saw from divisional weekend on the ages of the final eight teams of their head coach 34 38 46 41 41 47 68 63 those are the ages and now if you start to look around the league a bit O'Connell, who's going to be hired officially by the Vikings after Super Bowl Sunday, um, he is 36 years old. Mike McDaniel, who is a finalist for the Dolphins hire, he's 38. Josh McDaniels is 45, but you know he was, what, 37 whenever he was? No, 36, 35 years old whenever he was head coach at Denver. Um, Josh McCown, who is talking with Houston, is 42. I mean, it... Being in mid-30s, even, I mean, McVay was, what, 29, 30 years old when he got the job with the Rams. I mean, that's young, but nowadays, that's not that far off from, you know, 35, where most of these guys are averaging right now, getting at least an interview. It would have gone this direction, uh, but McVay did a lot to, to make it go, and for people not to think twice about a guy in his mid-30s being a viable candidate or uh, a hire that if they were going to take criticism for it, they didn't care. And they don't take criticism for it now. If you, if you hire a guy but, in his mid thirties, McVay working, um, did a lot to accelerate. I think the, the, the timetable and to take away the criticism that anybody would get for it. Well, because McVay has been so successful, obviously and he uh, spawned, by the way, McDaniel's others. 32 when he got the Broncos job originally, 32. Lane, Lane Kiffin, 31 with the Raiders. That didn't work out. McDaniels ultimately didn't work out with Denver. So you're right, Paul, that the success of McVay is helping now to... go the, the young route. And I also think that there's – and, and Lafleur is no, no Right or wrong, because I, I don't think this is always the case, but there's this uh, idea that young guys are going to connect with an NFL locker room easier than old guys. I, th- there's certainly outliers with that. With, I, think, I think Mike Tomlin, for instance, you know, it connects just fine with his locker room and, and has throughout his career, he's not 35 years old right now. But um, that seems to be part of it. Well, there's a lot you know, of that contemporaries These younger guys now. are able to connect with today's athlete better. Yeah, there's a lot of contemporaries now, but I think things have accelerated so much. The difference, Chad, between you and your father as compared to between your and your daughter, you're going to find, I think, is so much more stretched, right? The difference between me and my dad and me and my son in terms of relatability, is a lot different. 
And so it seems to me to make more sense. For a long, long time, it was just the accepted thing that your, your coach, an NFL coach, was more of a father figure than a brother figure. That's a right? good point. And now a brother figure in a lot of ways, in a lot of situations, works better. Though Belichick and Arians are certainly more father types. Yeah, and they're, they're quickly becoming the minority of hires. I mean, yeah. if, you look at, if you're looking for reasons why Leslie Frazier and Doug Peterson aren't getting rehired, because they're old. I mean, that's, that's the reason. And how old's Peter? By the way, th- there is this theory out there, this perception that – there are a lot of retread coaches. Since 2006, 71% of all hires have been new hires. And if you go back, the last 13 or 14 hires have been new head coaches, not it's retreads. Good, it's a good trend. I like so that trend. It's not, it's not like you know we're seeing these guys just circulate team to team. More times than not, ownership and general managers, they are looking from current staffs that are having success and picking and choosing from that, from that tree rather than getting a guy who's been fired, maybe on a second job through a coordinator, elevated to uh, another option to be interviewed. And it's just, I mean, Arthur Smith's a great example. Arthur Smith replaces Quinn, and he is 38, 39 years old. I mean, that is another example. If, if you're over the age of 60, you're not getting a job. Well, you saw a couple big and Doug ones. Peterson is 54, and that now – is seemingly old for NFL that's, hires. That's crazy to me. You see a couple big ones. Mike Vrabel's the second oldest coach among the final eight teams. Yeah, that's crazy. You see a couple big ones. Arians obviously came came back around out of retirement. And then McCarthy is probably the biggest retread, and he's with, obviously, the, the team with the most eyes on it. And so that probably gets stretched out of proportion by a lot of people because everybody's favorite team, did it they went and got a guy who uh, who had been somewhere already um and and they don't like it they'd rather a lot of cowboys fans i'm sure would rather have had new new fresh i think what's also interesting is these young coaches it's not like they're the young head coach and they're they have like the veteran offensive coordinator right it's not like terry robisky's calling plays for matt lafleur in green bay it's just it's a guy that's a little younger than him that's uh, well going to go Hackett, be the next head coach. Hackett's what 41, 42, so they're about the same age. Yeah, and then Lafleur has success in Green Bay, and, and then Hackett the gets guy. his option. He was interviewing last year too. I, and actually, the idea of having the older offensive coordinator, who's maybe a failed head coach, didn't have the CEO stuff, but knows offense well, isn't a bad paradigm in terms of having some consistency. Scott. Linehan or somebody like that. Right. I'm not saying or uh, or North Turner, uh, you know who's good, who's good. You, you got to find a good one who failed as a head coach, but then could be with you for eight years, you know, as opposed to you cycling through, cycling through. But I think that the way it's going to work now is you're just going to cycle through. David Coley was 66 uh, when he got hired as an outlier by the Texans. Definitely an outlier. But look what happened to him after a year. And now he's not. They're probably going to a 42 year old. That's never really coached that much or, or at this level. So complete reversal of what they did. And I think the, the hire a veteran guy on your staff to be a coordinator is overrated because the main component to me is continuity and consistency and you're able to work with your staff. Bring in a staff that either you know or you know you can work with and work well with as opposed to just bringing a veteran to bring in a veteran. This is always thing in college basketball. You hire a young coach 
or a first-time head coach, what does that young coach. coach do? He goes hire someone who's 60 years old who's had three different head coaching jobs or recently got fired as a head coach somewhere to be on his bench. Maybe that works better in, in college basketball when that happens. I don't think it's a prerequisite for the NFL. I think in the NFL it makes sense for an offensive head coach who's calling plays. That really takes a lot of your stuff. And if you have a a defensive head coach, Jim Schwartz was that in Philadelphia, say, for for Peterson. He has a little bit of autonomy. He's a quote-unquote failed head coach, but he did some damn good things in Detroit in a bad situation. Has some autonomy, can be successful on his side of the ball, while the head coach is the CEO, but also he's calling the plays. And I think the younger coaches are more apt to change what's not working based on the analytics of what is shown from their team. They did that with Wade Phillips. He had Wade Phillips initially. Yep. And and then that didn't go well. It went well early. And then when it didn't go well, he's not like, I got to stick it out with this guy. He's like, change. It's going to change it. Coming up, uh, we've got some headlines. We'll get into um, (laughs) Brian Kelly's dance partner, uh, not dancing with him any longer. So I, I would love to see the reaction of Brian Kelly yesterday at LSU when um, <laughs> the tight end that he was dancing with that went viral ends up at Bama. We'll get into we'll get into that. Plus, it reminds um, me of a dance Chad once had. The one very specific. <laughs> the one. I wonder what happened to that dance partner. <laughs> She's dead. The, the very specific um, area that two teams failed miserably with during the postseason that they would really hang their hat on. And you can point to it as to why they're not advancing. They're not playing in the game a week from Sunday. That and more straight ahead as we begin hour number two. Armando Salguero also in store. He joins us in 25 minutes. This is Outkick 360 from Nashville on the Outkick Network.